0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Airgun Podcast. I am your host, Tay. And if this is your first time tuning into the podcast, I just want to say thank you. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to listen. I hope you find the information in this podcast valuable and entertaining at the very least. So a quick little, uh, whatchamacallit, Easter egg. Um, If you listen through the entire episode at the very end, there's going to be something in there that I think you guys will find very valuable. And I'll just leave it there. So let's jump into the podcast episode with Lauren Parsons, who is on Team Day State and is part of the Air Guns of Arizona squad. She is our first ever female guest on the podcast and our first ever South African guest on the podcast. So uh, she's uh, batting a thousand right now, and I'm really excited for you guys to hear what she has to say, hear her story. It's super cool. She's a super nice lady. And... Um, guys, reach out to her on social media and say, what up? Heard your episode. You should kick my ass in a shooting competition. So without further ado, here you go. Well, Lauren, welcome to the air gun podcast. How are things going for you?
1: Hey, Tate. Uh, pretty good. Pretty hot here in Arizona right now, but it's all good.
0: That's awesome. So, um, I guess let's just jump in right off the bat. Some people don't know that you are from South Africa. How did you get here in Arizona?
1: In Arizona? Wow, that's a, it's kind of a long, crazy story. But, um, but yeah, I grew up in South Africa, went to college or, or university in South Africa, and I have a BSc Agricultural Animal Sciences degree. Um, and then I kind of took the leap after college and got a job on a farm in Ohio, um, just to do like temp temp work and that kind of stuff. And my visa was coming to an end because I just had a year, you know, seasonal work visa for a farm just to build experience and stuff like that. But I'd also brought my gun and everything to shoot here in the USA. And I um, I met Larry with a van at one match in Ohio. And he said, hey, well, this would be kind of cool. You should get to know Airguns of Arizona and stuff like that. And I started working with them. I went to EBR and shortly after EBR, uh, they offered me a job and I moved to Arizona. So it was pretty, pretty wild, but I guess lucky.
0: Wow, that is awesome. Um, How did you like Ohio?
1: It was weird. It was definitely weird. Moving from South Africa, (laughs) (laughs) there was so much snow. Like I moved in January and I only saw the soil for the first time late April. And I was Mm -hmm. like, what the heck is going on here? Then it was like Easter and it snowed right after Easter. And I'm thinking, what is going on in this place? Like, isn't the sun ever going to shine? Then summer hit. Holy smokes. The humidity was just insane. Um, And there was these huge mosquitoes, bigger mosquitoes than I've ever seen in my life. And I was pretty happy to come back to Arizona. That's a lot more like South Africa.
0: That's awesome. <laughs> well, before we get too far in, um, why don't you just give us a little bit of background on what you do currently? You mentioned you work with Airguns of Arizona, so mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, probably everyone <laughs> listening to this, knows who they are. Um, but why don't you just give us a little bit more background on yourself and some things that you've accomplished in the airgun industry?
1: All right. So um, I've been shooting airguns right now for about eighteen years. Um, I started when I was seven years old just in the backyard, plinking and, uh, having fun. And then I wanted to go hunting. So, um, in South Africa, hunting is a very big and popular sport and people grow up that way, you know? Um, and my dad said, you know, this is really a little bit big to the gun is a little bit too big for you and we should start off with something smaller. And so started air gun shooting and I was looking for something a little more competitive and, um, we found field target at a local club, actually, which was very fortunate. And I started shooting field target, beating a lot of the guys and all the other boys. And my dad was like, wow, you kind of got a knack for this. And uh, yeah, from there, the rest is history. I've, uh, I've been to eight world championships in different countries. Um, I've won around 10 national titles, both in South Africa as well as in the U.S., and, yeah, I shoot almost everything air guns now.
0: That is awesome. Do you have a favorite caliber to use or a favorite air gun that you use for any oh. of these competitions?
1: Oh, for sure. I only shoot 177 12 foot pounds. That's all I shoot um it was It was really strange for me when I came to the u s because you know, I'd always heard of like a twenty two caliber air gun. And I went to my first Extreme Ventress and they were like shooting 30 calibers and stuff. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what the heck is this stuff? Mm -hmm. They made me shoot a bush buck. And I'm like, this is like a hunting rifle, guys. This is like legit. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: I was I was in awe. I had no idea that those things even existed.
0: Yeah. So maybe you could give us a little bit of background. Um, since you're from South Africa, like what what's legal there as far as air guns compared to firearms? Like what's different from the United States to South Africa?
1: Okay. So South Africa has quite crazy laws. Um, Anything 22 caliber and under is legal. And so anything over like 25 or 30 cal, you'll have to get a license for that. But in our constitution, or I should say their constitution, um, there's no like place there's no box to tick for air guns so when you go to apply for an air gun license it's very confusing because they go well we're not really sure what to do here and then you're not sure and nobody's actually sure the end of the day Mm -hmm. is you need a license for it but you don't even know how to get one so that's a big gray area um Mm -hmm. and then i think the power level is like 30 foot pounds and under but don't quote me on that because i'm not 100 percent sure where they're standing on on laws with that.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. So, uh, what part of South Africa are you from?
1: I'm from Pretoria, so I'm from the the capital, basically, um, Pretoria Johannesburg area. And that was also a funny thing is people ask me like, "Wow, you're from Africa? That that's so crazy." Yeah, I come from the city. <laughs> mm-hmm. I grew up in a in a suburb area. And there were no like wild animals around me or anything. We also went on vacation and went on a safari. Like they weren't just roaming the streets as some people think. So that was pretty funny.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people, particularly, unfortunately, in the United States are very ignorant to other geographic locations like Africa. And they think, oh, South Africa. So you, you pretty much just live on the safari and you pick <laughs> yeah. up the zebras and lions attacking each other all day.
1: Oh my gosh, that would be heaven, wouldn't it be?
0: <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing that, but yeah, um, it's not for everyone maybe. But well, cool. So what was it that kind of made you want to continue with air guns versus firearms? I mean, do you, do you work with both of them or one versus the other primarily
1: um, I primarily just shoot air guns. Firearms is cool in a way. Um, I mainly use them in so in South Africa you need to have a license for a firearm and you have to be in a minimum age of twenty one. So by the time I left South Africa, I was not even of legal age to own a gun yet. Um mm-hmm. and So for me, it was always air guns just because the accessibility was so much easier and so much better. I could shoot them in my backyard or I could shoot them at a local range. Um, I didn't need a license for them. Ammunition was so much cheaper. And to shoot competitively, like I, at a stage, I was shooting around 10,000 pellets a year. So that's a lot of cans of pellets. And if you're shooting ammo, that's a lot of ammo.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. that's a lot, no matter what. Yeah. It's crazy.
1: Yeah. So I, I definitely favor the air guns more. And now being in the US, the the firearm section is cool, but I still like the, the air gun stuff.
0: Yeah, I think air guns, uh, you know, I, I was never really into firearms, but I wasn't like anti-firearm. I just never really got into that kind of thing. I was mostly playing sports. So when I got into air guns, I was like, wow, these are still way cooler than firearms. In my opinion, I think they're a lot more like, technical and interesting. And like you said, a big point is how accessible they are. And the ammunition cost is really a huge thing for me. So
1: Right. And it's so much easier to set your own regulator or clean your barrel or something. I mean, if you're in a firearm and you now have to go change your load on the gunpowder or the bullet weight or something it feels so intense to me that I'm like whoa 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 this is a lot this is just a lot Mm -hmm. let's back it up let's dumb it down make it blonde proof because I don't really know what's going on here
0: yeah that's a whole another side of things I would like to know that kind of stuff but I'm you know all my my focus primarily is with air guns yeah and I'm okay with that right now (laughs) yeah It's, it's fine for me so Lauren do you speak more than one language
1: yes I do okay
0: Is there any cool phrases you could teach an American white trash redneck (laughs) like myself?
1: Um, We have, well, we have some cool, cool phrases for sure. But basically, if you want to say thank you very much, you say buy a donkey, but you just say it really quick. So buy a donkey is thank you very much.
0: Wow. That is probably the best thing I've ever heard.
1: Yeah, that's pretty cool. And then we have a thing called a braai. So it's basically mm-hmm. a barbecue, but it's a little different because if you want to discuss a, a business meeting, well, we're, we're going to have a braai and discuss it. Um, there's a funeral. Well, we're going to have a braai and cry about it. A wedding, same thing. You're going to have a braai. A braai is like in South African culture. You can't go anywhere without having a braai. And uh, mm. that's, that's the other thing. So I always laugh when people say, oh, we're going to have a barbecue. I'm like, no, you're not. It's a braai. Just let's call it a braai.
0: Man, that's awesome. So I'm sure you follow along with some other um, South African airgun, um, bigger names and things like mm-hmm. that. Like I'm mm-hmm. sure you've seen Matt Dubber and Rolf and Gerard. <laughs> I always feel weird trying to say that because we're <laughs> American and we just have very harsh syllables and yeah. sounds on all the names. So trying, um, to, trying to be cultured.
1: Yeah, um, Matt Dubber. I've met Matt a couple times before. Um, we kind of crossed paths at air gun shows and stuff like that in South Africa, one being called Huntex. Um, and then the air arms distributor was up in Johannesburg. So I knew him pretty well. And uh, of course, he knew Matt. But for Harart and Rolf, I haven't met them personally. They seem like really cool guys. And it would be really nice to speak Afrikaans to somebody at a match in the US just once. I think mm-hmm. that would be that would be pretty awesome.
0: So for the other um people who are listening who are kind of idiots like myself, what is Afrikaans? I mean, I know what it is, but mm-hmm. maybe you can explain because they're like what is that?
1: Afrikaans. So it's it's like a dialect of Dutch basically. Um, it's one of the newest languages in the world, which is kind of interesting. And I think only like 2 million people in the world speak it. So it's, it's something that makes us super unique. We can understand Dutch a little bit and Flemish quite, quite well, actually. Um, and it just comes from the Dutch settlers, you know, moving to South Africa and, and settling there. And that's just kind of how the heritage started.
0: Well, well, there you go guys. Uh, a freaking history lesson right there. (laughs) Well, that's super cool. Um, what, what's it like being a lady in the arrogant industry? Do you feel like that adds a difficulty? Do you think that gives you an edge somehow? Or what's it like? Maybe it's like nothing. Maybe you're like, it doesn't matter.
1: It's, it's pretty interesting because there's definitely always eyes on you. Um, People don't necessarily know your name, but they always know, Oh, the girl, the girl that was shooting there or that girl, that girl. Um, So, So I feel like people always notice you and especially on how you're doing. And then it's a lot of pressure. I mean, I've had some guys take it really bad if I beat them and Mm -hmm. like honestly bad. And I'm thinking, guys, it's okay. We're we're shooting behind a bench. There's no physical element to this. I mean, it's it's reading the wind and shooting pellets at targets. So um, and or field target, you know, I feel like men and women compete fairly on the same playing field they do differentiate them in like uh, world classes and stuff like that but Mm -hmm. i feel like that's just more to grow the sport and to encourage other females to compete and to come on and shoot
0: yeah that's a good point too and i i think it makes sense not that there would be like it's way different like you're talking about if it was like men and women wrestling or like fighting each other you know then there, there is a quite a a huge biological difference in the way our bodies develop. And even still, like I, I wrestled for a little bit in high school mm-hmm. and I saw girls beat other guys, you know, they just, they were better at wrestling and maybe they were, they were stronger as well. So whatever reasons they won, but it's very much different when it's less of a physical thing. But right. speaking of the physicality, do, do you do any kind of like training or workout regimens or anything like that to, kind of complement your your air gunning
1: skills um i wouldn't say it's a compliment my air gunning skills right now i'm just trying to get a little bit more fit and you know lose a little bit of more more weight Uh, i think covid has pretty much hit everybody at work they call it the covid 20 because everybody's picked up like 20 (laughs) pounds I, i haven't picked up 20 pounds thank goodness but um but yeah i just try to stay a little bit more fit um you know, we walking on a field target course. Some of the field target courses can be really long. Um, mm-hmm. At the Worlds, they could be like a mile long. And so you have to be kind of fit. I mean, not like super athletic fit. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But just when you go from one station to the next, you don't want to be so super out of breath that it takes you five minutes to catch your breath before you get to shoot the next shot. So you just have to be a little bit kind of fit. Um, but But not like not like an athlete
0: right so fitness definitely does give you a little bit of an edge though
1: it does it makes it a lot easier my gun is really super heavy um i right now shoot the day state red wolf lpr um and it weighs with a gun with a scope and everything is like 18 pounds
0: well that is yeah. a heavy sucker
1: yeah so um, that in the bag it's, it's pretty heavy so you have to lug that around and it gets tiring and the fitter you are the easier that is to carry around.
0: Mm -hmm, For sure. And maybe you can give our listeners uh, who might not be keen to this kind of thing, why is it better to have uh, a little bit heavier gun for that type of shooting as it compared to like hunting or something
1: like that? Well, for me, I really like the way that it's got a dead feeling. So field target shooters will always talk about The gun having a dead feeling or just a a weighted feeling in that way is because there's no bench or any supports or anything. All of the weight is supported on your body, and you should try and support it as naturally as possible. So when you're like in a field target position, like sitting down or kneeling or standing up, you're always trying to create triangles, which are super natural in your body's posture. You know, so. Um, it, it's hard to, cause I don't have any way to show you, but if you sit down and you have kind of your butt on the floor with your legs pulled up, you have a bunch of triangles that you're forming and that makes it very, very stable. So if you have a nice heavy gun sitting on top of that, it's very stable and small little twitches with your body doesn't influence the gun much because it's so heavy. Um, same thing with offhand is if you have a good solid offhand position, you're not gonna hold the gun there for three, four minutes. You know, your, your point of aim is maybe minute and a half to two minutes at most before you have to break. Um, and so it's really, it's easy to handle, I would say, on a heavier gun. It doesn't really influence field target shooters much.
0: Right, so have you seen, is there anyone that you see compete with or anyone you've heard of competing with like a really light gun?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. A lot of the kids or some of the other women that compete that are just not strong enough to pick up the gun, they shoot a lot of light guns and they do fairly well as well. And at the end of the day, it's what suits you, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what is
0: your favorite type of competition to shoot? Cause I've, I've seen, you've done EBR and stuff like that. <laughs> There's field target. So what's your favorite to do?
1: Field target, hands down and European field target at that.
0: So what, are you, what do you like about those compared to other styles of shooting?
1: Field target, I just love because that's the one I'm most comfortable with. Um, it's one shot per target and it's a reactive target. So you sit down and you range a target, you shoot it in the little kill zone and it falls over or if you miss it, you hit the face place somewhere and then you pull it back up. So there's something happening. You're not just shooting paper. Um, there's a little bit of an adrenaline if it's like a three day match, right? At the world championships and the first day you and another person tied or they're like two shots ahead of you. The next day you beat them with three shots. Now you only a shot ahead, right? And Mm -hmm. as they would have it, you'd probably be shooting together on the third day. So you're kind of neck and neck, head to head, toe to toe all the time. And that's a lot of pressure because now you get one target and they miss one, and you think, okay, I'm two on him. Well, the next lane, you can miss both, and he's on top of you now. So it's uh, it's actually pretty crazy. And field target is also outside. You get to walk around, see fantastic places. I have been to some of the most craziest places in the world, um, just shooting field target, like in Poland and mm-hmm in Lithuania and New Zealand. And sometimes it's hot, sometimes it's cold. It's, it's really interesting. And a lot of places I would have never gone if it wasn't for field targets specifically.
0: That's pretty cool. So would you encourage people in the air gun industry to get into some local field target stuff?
1: Heck yeah. There's literally something out there for anybody. If you have a spring gun with a scope on it, uh, there's a class for you. If you you have a bad back or a bad knee. You could shoot Hunter class. It's on a stick and bucket. So it's it's easy for anybody to get into and to enjoy. Um, in Hunter class, you can even share a gun because the gun doesn't need to be set up so specifically as with like WFTF class. So a father and a son can come out and shoot or, or anything. And it's really for anybody.
0: That's pretty sweet. Yeah. So... You mentioned that you you pretty much just shoot the 177 and you've mm-hmm. tried other calibers. Is there another caliber that you just you ever shoot just if you have some free time, you just go out and shoot like a 22 or something or
1: Yes, definitely. Or a 45
0: cal Bushbuck, Bushbuck or something.
1: <laughs> definitely not the 45 cal, that is a monster of a gun. Um I love the 22 caliber um, high power. That's my favorite mm-hmm. caliber other than the 177.
0: So do you do any like Pest control or hunting with air guns, or is it you? You just dedicate your whole life to competition <laughs> shooting.
1: Mainly competition. I've I've shot a bird in my backyard once with my <laughs> New Day State, and I was like, "Yes, I have blood on it now. Look, I got it. I got something. It's it's got a purpose now. This is why you pay crazy money for a competition air gun because it shot a bird at like fifteen yards." I mean, it was just so crazy. I'd love to go out air gun hunting more. Um, I just don't have the opportunity. Every weekend is either a competition or i'm working so I, I feel like I'd never have the opportunity
0: right so yeah. what is it like working in the air gun industry what What is your job per se How would you describe it to people Because I know it's, you kind of do everyone does a little bit of everything in the air gun industry mm-hmm. not like you're dedicated to this one thing. So what would you describe your job as?
1: My job is pretty crazy. Um, right now I have like so many things going on that it's it's just insane. From where I started at Air Guns of Arizona and what I'm doing right now um, has changed quite a bit. And I, I now shoot less than what I used to, but it's, um, it's, it's really interesting. At a stage, I was, I was really concerned moving over because you know how they always say, you got to be careful to make your passion your job or your hobby your job because mm-hmm. what are you going to do on the weekends? And I fell into exactly that. And I got really, I don't know, hesitant about it because now I'm thinking, okay, I, I work, you know, nine to five at Guns of Arizona. Then I go to a match in the evenings and people ask you stuff because you work for them. They go, oh, do you guys have those pellets in stock? And I'm like, mm, yeah, uh, I think so. I'm not sure. Wait, hold on. My- mm-hmm. Let me think. You know, And immediately you're not relaxing, but you're still in that frame of mind. And whilst I don't mind it at all, it's just, it's kind of, you never get away. So you learn right. to love it. And I do love it. I really do love it. So I love those questions and being able to answer questions for people and talking about stuff. But I think it must, like, drive my mom crazy because when I call her, I'm like, so, mom, this happened in the Airgun world and this happened. Mm-hmm. And she's like, so, what's happening at Macy's? And I'm like, I don't know, mom, because I went to the shop.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. So do, do you have any siblings or are you pretty close with your mom? Sounds like, obviously, if you're calling her.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty close with my family. Um, I have a brother. He lives in Jordan, um, in the Middle East. And I, yeah, I know he moved back to South Africa, but he's looking at going back over there. Um, he's a scuba dive instructor. So that's pretty hectic. And then I live in the U.S. and my mom and dad is still in South Africa.
0: Wow. So do you visit them often or is it hard to to find time or afford yeah. a yeah. million hour place? place?
1: <laughs> it really is a million hours. Like it feels like it. it's 25 hours just from atlanta to johannesburg or no from from phoenix to atlanta to johannesburg it's like 25 hours so um yeah i try to go back once a year if i can um they came and visited me here in the states last year like october november ish and they were here for halloween so south africans don't have halloween you know so they came over here and they were like what the heck People are dressed up like gremlins and running in the streets begging for candy. <laughs> and what in the what is going on? So it was, it was pretty cool. My brother dressed up and uh, went trick-or-treating and stuff like that. So that was fun. But, um, but yeah, I was, I was supposed to go back right now. Today would have been day one of the world championships in 2020. And it got canceled. So mm-hmm. I was supposed to be in South Africa right now, actually.
0: Dang, sad day.
1: You know, but we gotta embrace it, and there's always next year.
0: That's true. Yeah, yeah, that's a good outlook.
1: This will, this too shall pass. I'm sure.
0: Yeah, it's just been crazy for everyone. So, what has it been like working with all this crazy COVID stuff? Has it has business like increased like crazy? Has it slowed down? What's it done for you guys? Yeah,
1: it's been it's increased like crazy. Um, we're struggling to keep up for sure working longer hours because it's just been more and just companies being out of stock on stuff. And it's, it's silly little things, you know, it would be like, okay, so for instance, a gun gets produced in the USA, right? But that one small little part comes from Italy. And so now all of a sudden you can't get it because Italy was shut down. Now you're shut down and now the gun can't be built. So even though the Hmm. gun isn't built like in China or in Italy or wherever the parts are still sourced from somewhere, and mm-hmm. that creates a really, really big problem. Um, tanks are mainly from from South Korea, so we had to find a way to get them out of South Korea or you know ship them from the u s somewhere and source a different That's why we got the Omega Patriot now because it's an American made tank We had to source American made and mm-hmm. I think it was a i think it was a humbling experience for everybody because we all had to kind of just slow down and look you know we were forced to stop and it's a very good thing in a way I don't think it's good with what's happening to the economy or anything like that I don't think that's good but as as individuals we were forced to just slow down a little bit and just take it in just whoa and I think that's a good thing
0: yeah I agree with you that's definitely been how it has been for me um and, and a lot of people, I think probably most people, um, they've just been forced to kind of sit back and, like, take the – it's kind of like a a summer break, if you will. That right. They've needed to take, but this has just been the forceful one that you didn't want to take right now.
1: Right, and very stressful at the same time. But I think people mm-hmm. are, like, spending more time with their kids and stuff like that. I do think it should end now because, I, I don't know parenting a kid during this I can't even imagine that or being their teacher and their kid at the same time oh my gosh that must be so crazy I I really feel sorry for everybody out there with kids that's going through school right now and just getting them hooked up on the computer and everything and it must be just a task and a half
0: yeah it's I mean my son is only 18 months old so it's been really (laughs) awesome for me to be able to stay home with him as much as I've been able to
1: OK, and that's awesome. going to be there through
0: this phase. But for people, yeah, you know, parents who have kids in school, like they've got to go back to work and they can't go back to work if the schools aren't reopening. So it's, it's this huge problem because then you have the people who are like, well, we want to keep the kids safe. Right. But then it's like, but the parents have to work. So it's like, well, you know, it, what what can you do? So what's the solution? So, yeah, it's been crazy. I feel for parents with kids in school as well. Yeah. It's a Wild, wild ride.
1: It's a wild ride. And I think uh, kids, they I saw a joke the other day on social media and said, well, if you ever think of kids 20 years from now, remember, they were schooled by somebody that had like a drinking problem during the day because your mom (laughs) was your teacher and she just had to get through things. So you had to get through things. Um, Yeah, it's something to keep in mind. And it'll be interesting to see how it impacts the world in 20 years from now. I think we just don't know. And that's why people are freaking out. Um, because Mm -hmm. of the unknown and you just don't know.
0: Yeah. It's, it's hard to know how it's going to play out. I mean, eventually everything works out, but like, you know, like you're saying, this could have some pretty major impacts on people.
1: And it has to work out no matter what they say, it has to work out. We have to find, find some happy medium to start traveling again, to start commerce again, to start everything again.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just, I think people get freaked out like you're saying and, and then they they hear the the media is only covering the bad news and right. they never share the good stuff.
1: Right. And-, and it yeah, and it doesn't help to say like to get even political about it and say, well, if you're listening to CNN, they're saying this, and if you're listening to Fox, they're saying that. I mean, at the end of the day, I feel like everybody's lying.
0: Yeah. It, there's there's a, always a side to to something. Yeah. So, and that's that's a hard it. thing. As soon as you politicize it, it's like. Okay, well now you're you're pitting people against each other even though Exactly. It's
1: like, you know, exactly. This is a,
0: this has just to do with people's health. Yes, it's affecting other areas, but it's it's a virus. So
1: Right, right. It's not
0: a it's not a policy or a new president or something like that. <laughs> no. But yeah, people are crazy. But on another note, speaking mm-hmm. of South Africans not having Halloween. Do you guys have any kind of like holidays that that we don't celebrate here uh, in the US?
1: Yeah, I guess like we have we have uh, Bry Day, which is it's Heritage Day to us um, coming from a country that's like so diverse and there's like 11 official languages. Um, it's it's a pretty crazy place. So we have Heritage Day in September and they've now renamed it as Bry Day. So it's the day for everybody to have a Bride. It's um, the 24th of September And people just have a barbecue, get together, chill out and celebrate what makes everybody unique. And I feel like that's an important thing. But at the same time, I don't know if everybody sees it that way, but it's just a celebration of us all being different. And Mm. they've really embraced it in a lot of ways in South Africa. And I feel like that will be a good thing for the US as well, going through some trying times where people have to realize everybody's different, you know? Um, and just realizing, coming from where I come from, everybody is different.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and with I think we should actually just have a bride day here, you know Yeah,
1: that'd be cool. And so we could just get, start
0: celebrating it. And on you the get same the
1: day. day off to drink beer, fish, hunt, do whatever you want to do, and have a barbecue. That's your day. It's kind of like the Fourth of July. it's it's what Perfect. it's used for.
0: We could use two of those here in the States. I'm not Oh opposed. heck yeah.
1: Heck yeah. <laughs> so
0: Lauren, what is there a difference between any beers you like here and beers in like South Africa? I don't know if you're old enough to drink when you left, but
1: <laughs> Yeah, I was. Um there the drinking age is like eighteen and that's only mm-hmm. a, a guideline also. Um it's very common to see kids, not kids, but just, you know, seventeen year olds having a beer and stuff that's not People don't really freak out about that or not really where I come from. It's mm-hmm. pretty normal. Um, And yeah, the beer here. I don't know. I like light like beer. So I like the beer here. I like Bud Light Lime. <laughs> so and,
0: what do they have over in South Africa?
1: Oh, gosh. They have Castle L- Lager. They have a Black Label. They have what's the other one. Lion. I know. Lion. Because, you know, you're in the Savannah. They have Savannah. They have Hunters Dry, which is kind of like Angry Orchard. That's also pretty yeah. good. Um, yeah, there's a lot of really good beers. People drink a lot of it, so it must be tasty.
0: Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, what about the food? Is there a, is there a oh. difference like culturally? <laughs> when you came here, you're like, oh my gosh, Americans are yes, balls.
1: yes, and yes, fast food everywhere. Like, what gives, guys? And always a, a drive-through. Like, I feel like Americans can't get out of their car and walk into a place. They're like, well, well, you know, if it's got a drive through I'm going to go. There's even mm-hmm. like a drive through pharmacy. That's crazy. Um, yeah, food is a lot different here than what I'm used to. Of course, you get burgers and you get pizza and you get pasta and all of that. But we have a couple of, you know, unique South African foods that I really do miss. Um, one of the things being biltong. It's like jerky, except it's not as treated. So it's just hung dry and mm-hmm. treated with a little bit of spices and stuff like that. And it is amazing. It's just dried beef. So, mm-hmm. so, yeah, I love that. And I do miss that. Um, sometimes you can find, like, areas that have South Africans. We're, we're everywhere, honestly. You don't hear it because people sound normal. But, uh, but if you look on Facebook or something, there are South Africans everywhere. And so they will, one person will be making biltong somewhere and you'll buy it off of somebody. So that's pretty cool.
0: Well, you got to hit me up with some, cause I've, I've seen, there's another guy that I follow from South Africa who moved, I think he lives in Mississippi now. Okay. But he started a, a nonprofit called blood origins. Have you heard uh-huh. of that?
1: I have not. That sounds cool. It's,
0: it basically talks about trying to like restore the, the image of hunters and hunting and like what it really means to be a hunter and that whole thing so he does like little mini like interviews with people and gets their stories of like hunting and all just covers a bunch of different topics but anyway i saw that in one of his videos and i was like what what is that but he was feeding americans uh <laughs> biltong and yeah it, they were like what is this we need more so yes
1: yes you do need more um yeah I'll definitely hook you up with some if I've got some by like the next big match, I mean wherever that might be I'll try and get you some for sure
0: well, I will pay you <laughs> what what's the currency that they you use in South Africa
1: It's the South African rand mm-hmm. and it's like seventeen rand to a dollar, so like you make minimum wage in the u s and then go to South Africa and live like a king, like bawling. <laughs>
0: Is that your plan?
1: No, no, no. Even if you just go and visit, if you go for a vacation, it's like you can you can get away with like a five star vacation for two people for, you know, two thousand mm-hmm. bucks. Aside from plane tickets, two thousand dollars. So it's it's really affordable to be richer there and to live well.
0: Well that's pretty cool. Yeah. Maybe I'll just move
1: to South Africa. To- you need to have a good <laughs> you need to be able to defend yourself really well cuz the crime there is hectic.
0: Well, I've watched a lot of kung fu movies so I think I'll be okay.
1: Yeah, well, that and if you've ever been to Chicago or New York, you'll be good. Yeah, I'm just kidding. I'll, I'll <laughs> probably get beat
0: up. I'm a wuss, but um so what what direction do you want to go with with your airgun career? Do you see yourself settling down someday? And being an old grandma to 47 <laughs> grandkids. Really or, or are you always just gonna shoot air guns until you die?
1: I I don't know, you know. I, I was actually forced to that. I so I recently turned 25, right? And that's oh. kind of at that level. Oh yeah, I know. So oh old. my gosh. Um so so I mean, I did a lot in my life early. So I, I immigrated and I have a degree, and you know, it's it's all crazy. But then that kind of hits you when you go on Facebook or go on Instagram and you see your friends from school and they're like getting engaged and getting married and having kids and thinking, oh my gosh, has life passed me by? What am I going to do? I mean, I'm not ready to get married. Heck, I'm not ready to have a kid. I can't shoot field target when I'm pregnant. So this is not going to work for me. Um, (laughs) And so I don't know, I guess... I guess I should settle down at some point, but I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon.
0: Well, just thinking about it, I think you might actually be more stable if you are pregnant shooting field target. You might have an extra rest.
1: Oh, that's a good point. That is a good point. You might
0: need to settle down sooner than you're thinking.
1: Right, but then I need to time it, though, that I'm, like, heavily pregnant with worlds every year. So then, right. you know, that you're right out there. Yeah, and you could play the sympathy card. People need to carry your gun for you. Mm, oh. That's really good. Upgrades on flights. I'm really liking where this is going, actually.
0: <laughs> free pellets.
1: Oh, Just free name, pellets.
0: <laughs> name the baby Daystate or Red Wolf or something like that. And...
1: One baby is JSB. The other one is H&N. <laughs>
0: Perfect. I don't want to say that that's the best idea I've ever had, but it's pretty close.
1: That's a really good idea, Tay. I'm going to have to um, the first baby is going to be called Tap, of course, for the Airgun Podcast. So I'm going to have to do that.
0: Or get free merchandise for life.
1: Heck yeah. That's awesome.
0: That's sweet. Well, what is your favorite thing about airguns? Just overall, whether it's a a part of the industry that you're in or whether it's hunting or what is it that you like about it?
1: Um, I just like the ease of use. Honestly, they're so easy to use and then the diversity of them, they're all super unique. And that's one of the things that I love. Um, I used to shoot a stire for 10 years and every single other styre that I saw looks unique. And if you mm-hmm. go to like an extreme ventures competition, just look down the line, you'll see impact, but not a single impact will look the same. You'll see Red Wolves, but not a single one will look the same. There's no such thing as an out-of-the-box stock standard gun. Everybody has to tweak their stuff, and I love it. They have to put a sticker mm-hmm. on it or have different colored scope rings or something on there, but everybody makes it their own. And I absolutely love that part and seeing seeing the uniqueness of it. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. very cool.
0: So... Since you shoot the Red Wolf, tell us a mm-hmm. little bit about that. Um, what makes a Red Wolf different from, let's just say, um, a styre? Like, what are some of the different features?
1: Um, so the major difference is that it's electronic, right? Mm-hmm. So Deset has come a very long way in building electronic guns. And they've been building electronic guns for years and years now. I mean, like, eight years ago, they had the Grand Prix. Before that, they had the Mark Three. And they've just been building electronic guns for, for decades now. And so they've just improved on that every single time until they're getting to the Red Wolf now and um, pretty soon the Delta Wolf. And it's all just super customizable, a different way of thinking, and just breaking the laws of mechanics with electronics. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's really tough to get a twenty-two caliber air gun to shoot 65 pounds of energy without electronics you're gonna have mm-hmm. to have a really big regulator with a really big plenum or a really strong hammer spring or something behind that to make it go really really fast you know so i really like the electronics of it um my red wolf that i shoot in field target it's dubbed the lpr lauren parsons rifle because i got together with day state and designed the rifle and they told me, you know, you should shoot a day state rifle. What do you want? And I said, well, you're not going to like what I want because what I want, you don't currently make. And they mm-hmm. said, well, you know, we're listening. What, where, where are you going to be at? And so we kind of designed it and uh, just got together and, and I designed the stock with Warren Edwards and got a lot of those features in there that I really, really wanted. And in the end of the day, designed the ultimate gun for me in the, 177 12 foot pound i get 350 shots per fill out of a 300 cylinder cc or 300 cc cylinder so yeah i can go to a match for an entire weekend side in and shoot and go back home and never even have to refill that is amazing yeah that's really cool so it's super consistent um i have it set up with three different power settings and so my power settings are for when I travel, right? So I have it set up here in Phoenix for like 12.4 foot pounds, 11.8 and 11.4. And basically all that that sets is the lock time in which the valve opens. It's mm. basically as simple as that. And uh, so when you go to a higher elevation where you're shooting maybe a little bit slower, I just let the valve open longer. So I put it on high power. Or if I'm you know, at sea level, then i go to low power and so that and my chronograph always travel with me and i've never had a problem
0: that's crazy so what i mean you kind of touched on it but what does a um difference in altitude do to your shooting like if you just keep it on the same setting but then you're changing Mm. altitudes from high Mm -hmm. to low
1: Mm -hmm. so if you go somewhere like we have a match and it's nothing like you have in colorado but we have a match that's at seven thousand eight hundred feet in Luna New Mexico. And I went there and sighted in and I'm thinking, well, you know, normally you have clicks because you just have a a natural arc to a pellet. And I'm shooting and it's just going straight. <laughs> like from 40 to 55 yards, I mean, not a click different. And I'm thinking, "Oh my gosh, this is pretty crazy." And that's that's a really big thing to deal with if you're traveling to like world championships and stuff like that because you're going to unknown territory. So you have to adapt your gun and your clicks. And in field target, that's what it's all about. It's about your ranging and then clicking to your correct range because we don't hold over, not typically. Um, So if those clicks are all messed up, you're aiming in the center and it's not hitting in the center. Well, you're kind of screwed really Mm -hmm. quick. So, um, So yeah, so that's the biggest thing that I that was tough for me and so so yeah to get to your point um higher elevation is going to make you shoot a lot flatter trajectory because the air is less dense so there's less mm-hmm. resistance against your pellet, and that's something to keep in mind people always say well you know when you send the gun away from the shop it says here on the chronograph slip 800 feet per second but where i'm at it's only shooting 750 well maybe the air is more dense at where you're at maybe you're in like Louisiana or somewhere like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something to keep in mind always.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I never thought about that. Um, yeah. And probably the same thing could happen then with like colder temperatures versus hotter temperatures.
1: Which... Correct. Yeah. So there you get something called um, temperature shift. And if you have like a really stable scope, and that's why I really love my Collis scope, and I wouldn't change it for anything in the world, is because it's super table- temperature stable. So Mm -hmm. I can, a lot of times on field target, you'll start the match at like 10 a.m. in the morning and finish at like 2, 3 p.m. in the afternoon. So it was nice and cool when you sighted in and it starts getting hotter during the day. So your scope starts expanding and Mm -hmm. it's all between, I mean, it's not just your scope. So you could say, well, I have a super temperature stable scope. It's about your scope, your mounts, your gun, and the interaction between the, the gun and the mounts and the scope and all of that stuff changing. And you have to just manage your change, and you're managing chaos through the entire match, hoping it all stays true.
0: Wow. Well, maybe that's why you're better than a lot of the guys, because <laughs> women are just better at doing
1: that than guys are. Oh, I, I wish. But no, it's it's kind of straightforward. It's not It's not as hard as you think. Once you get it figured out, people kind of go, Oh. OK, I get it. And then the penny just dropped. I love that moment that, oh OK. Wow.:
0: it, Yeah, it's, it sounds really really fun, really interesting, mm-hmm. but much different than, than hunting and that for kind of thing. Sure, for so sure. I, I think I have to try. I just need to set aside the time and give it a whirl.
1: Oh, definitely. And if you come down to an extreme bench rest, there's always field target out there um, in Colorado. I'm not too sure if there's clubs up there or not, but hey, I know a couple of guys from Colorado. Maybe you guys should start a club and just go out and shoot, you know?
0: Yeah, we, we've we I've gotten together with a few guys that mm-hmm. I've been able to meet um, through just doing this and finding people on social media and that kind of mm-hmm. thing, just growing a community. It's been really cool. And we've we've gone out and mostly just done like pest control for like prairie dogs and that kind of thing on people's properties. But I should, I don't know. I feel, I feel like I would just suck so bad at field target.
1: No, no chance because like you'll suck at the first two targets and then you'll figure it out and go, okay, well, hold on. If I put my leg like this, it's a little bit more stable. And so you have the entire match to figure it out. And then the next time you go hunting you're like, oh, this is a piece of cake. Because I remember when I was doing field target. And remember, that's how field target started. It started as a simulation to hunting. It's just, um, I mean, they've, they've taken it way further now. And now if you look at like some of the UK HFT and stuff, that's still really drawing it back to, to proper hunting, I would, I would think. But, um, but that's how it all started is just a simulation of hunting. That's why we shoot animal-shaped targets and stuff.
0: That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So, that- Lauren, what's it like? Oh, go ahead.
1: That's also why I will never be an Olympic sport, because the Olympics really don't like people shooting at animals.
0: Yeah. It seems there is a, a disdain for that kind of thing, even <laughs> yeah. though most of them probably eat meat.
1: Right. But, it's like, hmm, where do you think this came from?
0: Yeah. I don't know. It's a weird thing. A, <laughs> yeah. a very sensitive subject that I would love to dive into but only when um, I'm really old and and nothing matters anymore.
1: Well, maybe around a Yeah,
0: Heck yeah. Let's do
1: that. (laughs) Yes.
0: What's it like competing on like a world championship level compared to like just a local, you know, field target event?
1: Oh, it's a lot different. Um, There's definitely that BMT, that big match mentality that you kind of get into and you kind of, You kind of psych yourself up, you know, when you're going to the world championships, you're getting on the plane, you're packing, you're, you're unpacking there. You're excited. You're seeing your friends from all over the world and it's, it's excitement and that gets kind of your adrenaline going and your, your responses and you you kind of see the wind and you're just so much more nervous. And I feel like that helps you a lot. Well, it helps me a lot. Whereas if I just go to a local match, I take it so chilled. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I Mm-hmm. I don't even know if I have my bum bag, or I don't even know if I have my my glove with me. I've forgotten pellets like three times. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I would never forget that at the Worlds. So there's definitely a difference. But the more times you practice at home and at your local range, the easier the World Championships will be. Because you've done this so many times, you know. So you're not nervous in the sense that you're for the unknown, You just, you know what you're doing and you know what to do, where to grab your pellets, where to set your stock at, where to fill your gun to. And there's, there's kind of that comfort zone in the known. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, that's just, uh, I don't know. It's, it's definitely a lot different.
0: Do you have any rituals? Like you wake up and you, you snort coffee grounds (laughs) in Uh, your hotel
1: room or something. And then
0: (laughs) do five pushups.
1: Have a good breakfast definitely have a good breakfast and yeah. most of the time there's no bathroom on the course so I can't drink coffee in the morning hmm. yeah I'm terrible I, yeah that is awful for men it's a little bit better and easier but that's definitely a difference for women because now I'm like oh where am I gonna go I'm gonna ask them to lock to close the course so I can go downrange to a little tree or something heck <laughs> no heck no I'm not gonna do that so um so yeah, that's that's basically my only ritual and remember everything.
0: What well, what's what's a good breakfast? Is it a uh, South African style? Well,
1: you just yeah. grill
0: sausage I... <laughs> over a fire.
1: Yeah, probably that that actually does sound really good. But yeah, bacon, eggs, toast, some tomatoes, some avocado. A lot of food actually. Just a good breakfast. We our bacon is like ham though. It's like mm. British bacon. So I can't get american bacon to be soft no matter what i do it turns out crispy so i've just resorted to canadian bacon i've had to
0: (laughs) well maybe we can hook you up sometime get you some soft bacon
1: (laughs) don't worry it's thick thick cut (laughs) it's changing over time i'm becoming more and more american i'm understanding why nacho cheese tastes really weird and really fake because it's not really cheese apparently and um, oh, yeah, I'm definitely not. <laughs> and apparently Velveeta is also not cheese, even though it says cheese in the name.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, so I'm I'm becoming more and more American every day.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of weird things here, like that are like not even legal in other countries. To, oh, like, put yeah. in food and they're <laughs> like, Oh yeah, we serve fifty million Americans this <laughs> breakfast every morning with cyanide and all these things that will kill you.
1: I feel like half of that is in the cereal aisle comprised of pop tarts and cereal.
0: (laughs) Seriously, if just whatever you do, become American in all the ways, except for the eating habits.
1: Yeah. Because it's just insane. It is. I feel like the food here is just so much fattier and so much worse for you. It it feels like that anyway. People are like, oh, how do you cook this meal? Well, with the stick of butter, of course, like. Mm-hmm. Does it really need the whole stick of butter? Holy smokes, guys! It's, yeah, um, and
0: it depends on where you go too. I mean, uh, have you tried like? I'm sure Mexican food is a different experience. Oh yeah, that than is what you're getting in South Africa.
1: That is weird. I can't do. I know it's very strange that I live in Arizona and don't like Mexican food, but even the guys at the shop, I mean, they have Mexican food six out of five days out of the week, you know, (laughs) I mean, it's like, you walk in and if you've got a breakfast burrito on your hand, you're like the king for that day. And I can't take it. I don't get the, the wow factor, you know, beans, I don't eat beans at all, right? So I'm thinking, what is up with these little black morsels in my food? Why? I, I just don't get it. And then they have like a tortilla, right? They have the carb for the tortilla, then there's rice in there, then there's beans inside of that, and I'm thinking it's carbs on carbs on carbs. Like, what the
0: heck? Hey, that's, that's what it takes to
1: survive in the, the Arizona heat. It, apparently, but yeah, <laughs> I, don't, uh, I don't do Mexican, and I don't do spice. So for me, it's, it's really weird and, and tough living here.
0: Yeah, is, is spice something like that's common in South Africa, or is that that's just totally new?
1: Um, no spice is kind of common it's just that I never grew up a lot with it or with chilies or anything like that so Mm. I just don't like it but spice is we have weird spices Um, I always just get told wow that smells so interesting what is that and you use like like paprika and cumin and just weirder spices that people wouldn't Mm -hmm. normally use here Um, so so yeah
0: is there anything in South Africa that's like a staple meal, like common in households?
1: Yes, yes, maize meal. It's, what uh, it's, is that? <laughs> it's basically corn that they grind up. And so it's like a fine powder and you buy mm. it in like a pack of flour. It looks like a pack of flour, but it's maize meal, right? And so you cook it in water and there's a bunch of different ways to cook it, either in water or in milk. You can make it like really like watery and then that's for a breakfast you know, with some sugar over it and milk, or you can make it like really stiff. So it's like kind of like mashed potatoes, you know, mm, or mm-hmm. it can be very crumbly. And so there's a million different ways of serving that. Everybody likes it. Everybody eats it. It's it's a staple wherever you go in, the, in all communities as well. It's popular in both the, you know, the black and the white communities and everywhere, just absolutely everywhere. Everybody loves it.
0: Well, that's pretty cool. What about, I feel like based on certain... Uh, videos and things I've seen uh-huh. are meat pies a big thing.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, it is. People it like having them.
0: Their... Are they so delicious or what?
1: They are amazing. They are definitely amazing. Meat and everything. That's how South Africans are. And my dad. I grew up with my dad telling me that we're gonna have vegetables tonight for dinner, so we're having pork and chicken. So it's only it's only meat if it's red. The others are veggies. So, and they, I mean, South Africans will have meat with every single meal, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's how life works. Well, that doesn't sound bad either. You know? No, it's not bad. So it goes without saying I'm not vegan or vegetarian or anything like that, because I don't think you'll survive in South Africa, to be honest.
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, I'm sure there's a huge shortage of certain things there just based on climate no but i don't know you're you're the one with the agricultural degree
1: yeah there's um, a wizard (laughs) we don't really have beans it just doesn't grow there they grow corn and that's where the maize comes from and so that's why it's just more prevalent there than here
0: well that's pretty cool we've learned so much well i have learned (laughs) so much and i'm sure all of our listeners will have learned so much about south africa and all of the things that do and do not grow there
1: yeah, the cool places that they are. Yep,
0: definitely. So if, if someone was going to travel to South Africa when things get back to kind of normal, mm-hmm. where would you recommend that they go?
1: Pilonsburg.
0: Okay, how do you spell
1: that? It's P-I-L-A-N-E-S-B-U-R-G. Pilonsburg. Um, that's just an area that it's a, it's a very famous game park. Uh, kind of like the Kruger National Park or any one of those. It's about two hours, three hours from the airport. So it's not super far to drive. You can see all of the big five animals there. they got elephants, giraffe, lions, leopards, you know, the works. It's a super fun place. It's not super big. And it's just beautiful to go on safari. So that's a very cool place to go on safari. And I actually have uh, plans to go there when I go there with my family.
0: That is awesome. What about like a a city location or somewhere that when people think of South Africa, they don't typically think of that kind hmm. of location, like a cool little coffee shop or something?
1: Cool little coffee shop. We have tons of coffee shops. Like if you go to the mall, there are at least five coffee shops in every mall everywhere. So and you sit down always and have like a cup of coffee and a piece of cake. It's not to go. It's never to go. So that's kind of cool. Um, I don't know. There's so many. You're kind of catching me off guard here. I don't really know. There's a lot of cool places. Oh, a really cool steakhouse is called Carnivores. It's also close to the airport and they serve you all kinds of meat there. You can have crocodile and lion meat and kudu and any meat you can think of. They'll serve it there. That's a very cool place to go. Yeah. Have you eaten lion? uh no not lion but i've had like ostrich is a like ostrich is a normal staple meal for us like turkey is here you know Mm -hmm. um and then venison you get venison almost all the time um so yeah i've had a couple of weird stuff crocodile really does taste like chicken
0: i i had some crocodile uh, it was actually a crocodile meat pie when i was in australia
1: oh my gosh that's epic so you've been to australia to down under
0: oh yeah i was I was there <laughs> for part of a summer when I was in high school. It was like some sort of student ambassador program, but it was really cool.
1: That I tried awesome.
0: kangaroo as well. It was very good. Um, wow, that's cool, yeah, some cool things, but uh yeah, it was really cool. I think I'd like to travel more,
1: yeah, that must See have been more s-
0: more places like that
1: yeah, that must have been such a long flight from here though it's like literally on the other side of the world.
0: yeah, so we flew into l a
1: mm-hmm. um
0: so we we stopped off in California, and then mm-hmm. from there, I think it was fourteen or fifteen hours to where we flew in. So not as long as a flight mm-hmm. to South Africa, but it was a good long flight. So
1: but, yeah, but it's crazy because you go the wrong way around the world. Because normally, from for us, we go Europe and then Europe to South Africa. You know, this is mm-hmm. the other way. That's kind of cool. I want to do that.
0: Yeah, it's like just a huge expanse of ocean. So I'm like, what if the plane goes down in the next 500 miles? There's nothing but ocean.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But it
0: didn't. I made it. So it's all good. You're a hero. Well, the pilot, he's a real MVP, honestly.
1: (laughs) Yes, they really are. I wouldn't be able to deal with that.
0: I know. And especially for like a thousand hours just flying.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: And knowing like, hey, if something goes wrong, even if it's not my fault, everyone's going to blame me for killing 500 people and right. losing all their luggage.
1: Right. <laughs> losing their luggage. Yeah. Or what if you don't get along with the guy that sits next to you? What then? Or what if he smells bad? What then?
0: That's a really good point. I mean,
1: how do you, how do you tell him, Hey dude, you kind of smell bad. Like, do you say something? Cause it is a long, awkward day. If you do, if you say right. something like in the first hour, Oh my gosh. <laughs> I
0: don't know. Maybe you just have to be really good with like, reverse psychology be like oh man you know what I forgot deodorant today do you have any deodorant
1: <laughs> that's cool that's very tactful I like that it's a way to deal with people
0: yeah I have well I mean I'm I'm a dad so I got to figure out reverse psychology
1: oh so I can yeah.
0: make sure that he doesn't <laughs> run into the street or grab hot things or
1: I don't, oh, know, my gosh. All I kinds don't of know crazy things I don't know how you guys do it like, I, I would be the worst mother because I would just say, I told you it's hot, dude. I told you it's hot. If you're going to touch that, that's on you. That's on you, honestly. I told mm. you.
0: That that actually, <laughs> I think that makes you a really good mom. <laughs> you got to let them learn their consequences. Because yeah. I think a lot of parents try to make, they try to, like, protect their kids too much instead yeah. of letting them learn hard lessons.
1: Yeah. Because
0: yeah. Ne- they never learn if if you're, you know, you don't really understand why they keep telling you, "Hey, that yeah. stove is hot. Don't touch it." Until you touch it and you go, "Oh, that's oh, why they said." Dang,
1: that. that's why it's hot. Okay, well, yeah, lesson learned. Check.
0: I think you'll be <laughs> you'll be just fine. Being a parent is really cool. It's,
1: yeah,
0: it's probably like my my favorite thing
1: ever so that's far. That's awesome. I, I I hear everybody say that, and then it's like, yeah they always tell me you never know until it happens to you. And I'm like, yeah, I guess. So maybe one day I, I'm looking forward to that.
0: Yeah, it's cool. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to describe. That's, that's probably why <laughs> people have a hard time saying what it's like. Right. You, just say, you have to experience it. Right. Kind of how it is. It's like when you're telling someone in the firearms world, like, no, air guns are really cool. You, yeah. You just won't get it until you shoot them though.
1: You just have to take that shot, man. It's very, very cool.
0: Yeah, it's it's like the, one of the coolest things ever. But um, before we end this, Lauren, is there any advice that you would give to someone uh, who wants to get into air guns, but they're not sure how, or they're looking at the costs and being like, wow, uh, if I get that Lauren Parsons version of the Red Wolf, I'm paying $60,000 for the air gun.
1: <laughs> um, advice, yeah. If you want to, then you're already halfway there. So... Go out to a match. Try to find groups on Facebook. As you said, Tay, um, it's really easy to find groups and stuff that are just shooting air guns. Hit them up. Ask them, hey, guys, I am interested in this, but I don't really know and I'm not really sure. Can I come out and shoot one and just see if I like it? I promise you, you're probably going to like it and then just go from there. Don't be... Don't be shy about buying used because a lot of people buy used guns and get really awesome deals. And remember, it's, that gun is not for forever. It's like a car. You're going to buy and sell and buy and sell until you get the perfect gun you want. So be willing to buy and be willing to sell and just go from there.
0: That is very good advice. Yeah. Very, very practical. Be careful.
1: Yeah. Be careful not to get into too much because I know a couple of people um, have like their set, let's call it X amount of money. Right. So Mm -hmm. when they sell off something, then they put back into their X fund. And then when they buy something, they buy it out of that fund. So you always, that's one really good way of controlling, you know, that you don't buy too much or Mm -hmm. that you actually allow yourself to buy that one gun that you want. And I guess it's super ironic because I've only ever owned four guns in my life and I currently only own three and I don't want any more and I'm not interested in any more. I just I like my three and they're my three favorite guns. But yeah, if you if you'd like having a lot of guns, which a lot of people do, just try to keep it, try to keep it all together.
0: That's good. Well, before we end, what are Mm -hmm. those three guns?
1: Um, I have a Steyr LG 110. That I shot for 10 years, and I have a Daystate Red Wolf Field Target in 177, and I have a Daystate Red Wolf 22 High Power, and that's all I shoot. That's awesome.
0: <laughs> well, Lauren, this was awesome. Thank you so much for sitting down and taking time out of your day to chat with me and tell me all about South African culture.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much um, for having me. It was a Yeah, blast. of
0: course. It's so cool. You are the first. Female to be on the Airgun Podcast.
1: Hey! Ooh!
0: And the first South African. Awesome! So, I
1: feel so honored.
0: <laughs> I know, and the first person to talk about field target, who who primarily <laughs> operates in the field target world. So,
1: a lot I mean, of firsts today.
0: Yeah, it's <laughs> going to be hard to beat you. How did you say uh, thank you again? Was it buy a donkey? Is that what you said?
1: That's perfect. Yeah, buy a donkey. Bu-
0: <laughs> All right. See you, Lauren. Bye. alright FNA right, F&A Cotton, um, you made it to the end of the episode, and I hope you didn't just skip ahead, but here's the Easter egg. So the primary feature on the website that I'm super stoked for is going to be in the store of the website, and it's a monthly subscription option. So it's basically a monthly sub box that's geared towards air gunners. So you can start gaining an inventory of air gun products like ammo, targets, um, and different accessories for your air guns so that you can keep your sport going and do at an affordable cost. And you don't have to buy one specific thing through this company and one through this company and blah, 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 blah. So I'm trying to make it really easy for air gunners to start building an inventory of air gun goods. So pellets, targets, all that stuff on a regular basis, as well as representing the air gun industry as a whole. So, um, the companies that we partner with, they're also going to be pitching in things. And it's not going to be every month you get something from the same companies. It's going to be different every single month. And the boxes won't always have the same number of items, but they're always going to be valued at the same price. So you might get uh, one box with like 10 little things um, that you can be using and stocking up for your airgun goods. And then you might get one the next month that's like one really like badass thing and then a few stickers or something like that. So the value of the box will always be the same, but the quantity of items won't. Um, And the really exciting part about this is that there's a limited number of spots for subscriptions. So it's first come, first serve. And then every single month, there's going to be a giveaway that could range from uh, like a redeemable coupon because I'm not going to send you an air gun in a little box. So you go to the website for the coupon and then redeem that for whatever it might be. So it could be an air gun giveaway. It could be a scope giveaway. It could be something that's not quite necessarily air gun specific, but it could be like a sweet camping backpack giveaway um, and things like that. So things that are going to allow you to continue your passion and your hobby for shooting air guns and being outdoors and that kind of stuff. So I'm really excited for that. And I just want to throw that out there. For those of you that listen to the podcast, you know about this first um, because I haven't told really anyone about this, obviously besides the companies that I'm working with on this. So if you want to start r- gaining different products from different companies in the airgun industry slash outdoors industry, this is going to be the way to do it for you. So stay tuned. I'll actually let you guys know when the website goes live and when you can actually actually start subscribing to this monthly service so hope you guys enjoy that